Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. But faced with that same situation, they made different decisions. And to me, the one of the lessons is a lifetime of good work could be undone by the decision of a moment. That's longtime Journal of the American Revolution contributor Gene Procknow talking about his new comparison article between American commander Benedict Arnold and British officer James Weems. It's a doozy, and he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is brought to you by Henry Holt and Company, publisher of the new book, The British Are Coming, The War for America, Lexington to Princeton, by Rick Atkinson. Available now. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. On today's episode, we have a good old-fashioned comparison study, looking at two commanding officers on opposite sides of the war. Our guest is Gene Prock now. He's written literally dozens of articles for the Journal of the American Revolution. And he offers great insight into how a comparison study can reveal a great deal about not only how these officers behaved during the war, but how both armies fundamentally viewed the war. For all the history students out there, this is a particularly important episode for you because it shows you the value in approach when it comes to studying a historic topic, especially one, in this case, involving Benedict Arnold, a person who's had numerous biographies and studies done before. It can be daunting at times, and this is for anyone who's working on a degree in history, this is for anyone who's even contemplating writing a research article on history. And hey, by the way, if I may say so, the Journal of the American Revolution would be a wonderful place to pitch your article. Uh, but if you're struggling with how to talk about something new, how to approach something in a new way, a comparison article is a fine way to do it. Uh, so long as uh, you do it the appropriate way. And the best way to learn how to do that is to find something that works and copy it. Uh, that is to say, do what they did. And this article by Gene Prock now, uh, the article we'll be discussing today, is a very fine example of how that can work. Sometimes the new stones to be turned over have been in front of you the whole time. And only when comparing one subject to another, whether it be a person to a person, a law to a law, a war to a war, or even a kingdom to a country. Uh, when you make that comparison, when you use uh, each subject as a mirror to look at itself, you find some wonderful new interpretations, which as historians uh, can make or break our career. So without further ado, let's sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Gene Procknow. Gene Procknow, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Brady. I'm really glad to be here. Tell us about your background. I'm on my second career um, as a Revolutionary War historian. Um, in my first career, 
I worked as a management consultant and, and, and in senior leadership for a large consulting firm. Um, in that capacity, I learned a lot about leadership. I was a student of organizational dynamics. I learned how people were motivated, what motivated people made them tick. And what I found is that background around um, understanding leadership and motivations has made me better at doing historical interpretations. Um, you know, I've always been interested in history, but about 10 years ago, I got interested and fascinated by uh, working and writing about the American Revolution. What first drew your interest into this topic? You know, this this topic is kind of interesting, and it came from the Journal of the American Revolution. Um, last fall, I read an article by Randy Purvis, um, um, and it was entitled The Second Most Hated British Officer in the South. Um, you know, with a kind of a catching title like that, that caught my attention. And it chronicled the exploits of a, a relatively unknown British major by the name of James Weems. Um, and it was about his activities during the uh, Southern campaigns of uh, Lord Cornwallis in 1780. Um, and in this article, he described that Weems was held in high contempt by the rebels um, and the inhabitants of South Carolina. And done that, he was held in, in contempt because of uh, really brutal, brutal retributions and, and burning of houses and indiscriminate killing. In fact, he even hanged a real prominent uh, uh, rebel. Um, um, and Purvis concluded his article um, by uh, saying uh, lightly at the end that Weems moved from Scotland to Long Island after the war. So that raised my interest. It kind of piqued my interest. I mean, how would a person that was the second most hated British officer move back to the United States after the war? Um, so then once I learned a little bit more about uh, Weems, his wartime experiences and his um, background and his life story was remarkably similar to Benedict Arnold, um, but uh, each had a little bit of a different outcome in their life. Um, and so that, uh, that got me to uh, look at contrasting and comparing uh, their lives and experiences. This article is a comparison study that's very useful and, quite frankly, underutilized by historians. So let's begin with the early life of our subjects. Tell us about the early lives of Arnold and Weems. Oh, okay. Uh, Weems is a, um, uh, was born in Scotland, Edinburgh, Scotland, um, 1748. Um, it, it, you know, the family name Weems may not be all familiar to, to us, uh, but it is a very familiar name in, in Scotland. It was the name of a very famous clan. In fact, the, the, the name means cave because uh, it was on the coast of Scotland. Um, and uh, so it was, he came from a, uh, a, a long-lived uh, Scottish clan. Um, he got married um, in Scotland. Uh, he joined the, uh, uh, the British Army as an ensign in 1766 um, and then came over to the United States, came over to Boston um, just after uh, the Battle of Bunker Hill. And um, he, he ended up um, uh, serving principally throughout the whole war. Uh, Benedict Arnold had a little bit of a different background. He, uh, he's, uh, I was, not, as you say, a lot more familiar to the JAR readers and, and listeners uh, but um, um, uh, he, he's seven years older uh, than Weems, um, and contrary to Weems, he, he started his life as a, a merchant, following his father's footsteps into the merchant business and shipping business. Uh, so he did not have the military background. Um, Arnold uh, it was a very, very successful merchant, much more successful than his father and his grandfather before him. 
but right after um, Lexington and Concord, he uh, volunteered and uh, for the Continental Army and entered the service. So he became a highly competent uh, uh, military officer, uh, but really through on-the-job training as, as opposed to the professional training that Weems got. You mentioned that both Arnold and Weems have similar combat experiences early on in their lives. Uh, how so? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we know less about Weems, but uh, he was a, an innovator and a great motivator of people. And I think those are kind of the traits we think about Benedict Arnold, too. Arnold was able to um, motivate his soldiers uh, to the famous trek uh, through Maine uh, uh, to uh, attack uh, uh, in uh, uh, Quebec in the winter of 75-76. Uh, um, and so we think a lot about his ability to, to uh, train and motivate people. Uh, Weems had the same kind of uh, experience, but a little bit lesser known. Um, he was an innovator that really led the transformation of a provincial unit called the Queens Rangers into a really formidable fighting force. Now, this force was, fighting force was made uh, more famous by John Graves Simcoe afterwards, uh, succeeded Weems when Weems got injured, um, uh, wounded in combat. But uh, he was the person that was the brains behind doing that transformation. Um, you know, Arnold, uh, we uh, know a lot about his battlefield performance, uh, uh, especially at Saratoga, and he has a legendary aura around him. Uh, but, you know, Weems had his own moments here um, where, you know, he, he also excelled at close quarters combat. Um, he led the vanguard of the British attack at the Battle of Brandywine in ferocious uh, fighting and acquitted himself and his unit very, very well. Um, in fact, uh, uh, his immediate superior, uh, uh, General Niphausen, uh, said that uh, uh, in a letter, uh, commended uh, Weems in a letter to uh, Lord Germain, which is pretty amazing for a major uh, to get that commendation from a uh, major general, and who said, it's my duty to mention the merit of uh, Major Weems. So um, he was, uh, he had, they, they both were really excelled at close quarter combat. They both had a flair for combat leadership. Um, and they both uh, s suffered horrific wounds. Um, you know, Arnold was wounded twice in the leg, uh, once at Quebec and once at Saratoga. And Weems was actually wounded three times uh, uh, in combat for a total of six major wounds to his body. Um, and both of them um, were maimed for life and crippled for life. So um, they, they both uh, were uh, uh, not afraid to lead from the front. Both of these men are given independent commands, and their commanders are very clear that their service is commendable. Uh, what do they do to deserve these accolades? Yes. Um, in fact, I will tell you, I think actually Weems probably got more accommodations from his commanders than, than Arnold, um, um, you know, because Arnold famously fought with some of his commanders. But, uh, you know, I, I mentioned the, um, the Battle of Brandywine where Weems uh, led the vanguard. Uh, uh, General Howe, uh, who was in overall command of, uh, of the British ar Army uh, at that time, um, he, he uh, praised Weems by saying uh, in his unit by uh, calling out their distinguished gallantry. Um, and also, the uh, uh, the British had a, a system where they had inspector generals that uh, looked after and evaluated the performance of various units um, uh, during the service uh, during the revolution. And uh, the inspector general um, uh, reported back to the British uh, American Secretary Lord Germain that uh, uh, Weems' um, uh, unit uh, experience. Uh, 
is uh, expressed a lot of the uh, uh, good work that they did was the base, basis of his experience and what he did in his character. And that uh, uh, John Gray Simcoe really basically uh, came in at the last moment and took the glory from, uh, from Weems. Um, and then lastly, um, Henry Clinton personally thanked Weems for his unit's uh, conduct during the campaigns around the uh, Hudson Valley. So he got called out, uh, Weems got called out uh, in dispatches sent by senior commanders way above his pay grade. Um, Arnold, on the other hand, um, did receive praise. In fact, he received praise earlier in the career more than later in his career. Um, even uh, General Gates, who he famously fought with at the end of his career uh, in the Continental Army, um, praised um, Arnold for his leadership um, of the Navy on Lake Champlain in 1776, and also during the early parts of the Battle of Saratoga. Um, and then Arnold also uh, I mean, received uh, praise from Washington. Um, but beyond that, he, he didn't. Um, you know, his self-absorbed nature uh, didn't lend itself to a lot of collegial praise. So uh, that kind of limited what uh, people said about him. Both men develop a reputation for ferocity and maybe some would say callousness. Were these reputations, in your opinion, deserved? Well, you know, it's interesting about those reputations. Uh, sometimes those things can be good things or bad things, kind of depending upon your um, your point of view. I guess if you're the victor, you know, they're all good. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the callousness and ferocity of, of, of uh, Arnold, really a lot of that comes from when he switched sides to the British side. Uh, now, maybe that's because Americans interpret it that way, but also British interpreted that way, British commanders. Uh, and, and the British commanders thought that he went too far uh, and it was too much about himself. Um, he was criticized by Henry Clinton as insensitive to the loss of soldiers. Uh, in his raid in New London, Connecticut, he lost 25% of his command. He was, uh, he was successful in battle, but uh, thought that was too high of a price, especially when you can't replace those soldiers very easily. Um, likewise, uh, Weems has been um, charged with, uh, with ferocity and, 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 and callousness, uh, and famously, um, he, he's uh, been viewed as someone who indiscriminately killed uh, people, including uh, a person by the name of Adam Kusick. Um, you know, but as you get more and more into this, you find that uh, the sources are less and less clear about this. Um, and a lot of the sources leave out the fact that uh, this person was tried in front of a military court. Um, and uh, he's tried for shooting at a British officer and breaking his parole. So, you know, I think if I was that British officer, I wouldn't be too happy that someone broke their parole and um, fired upon me. Um, so, you know, uh, Weems is further. He's, he's charged with indiscriminate burning and the burning of homes and, uh, and cruelty. Um, but I'm, I'm a little more cautious around that because the historical record has other facts and other on the other side of the ledger. Um, in fact, uh, there's a, a, a famous um, incident for which uh, he allowed a rebel officer to cross his lines to be able to attend to a sick family. Um, you know, I just don't think a callous man would do that, especially in combat, especially when that could um, put his command at risk. So um, I think uh, there's more to the Ween story than just being the second most hated uh, man um, in America. Each man felt as their career went on, that they were passed over for promotions. Uh, to say that Benedict Arnold had a chip on his shoulder may be the understatement of the entire revolutionary period. Uh, so could you talk about where those chips came from? 
Yes, and, and in fact, that is something they definitely share together. And uh, but one did one thing about it, another did another thing about it. So um, uh, each dealt with that issue uh, differently. Um, Weems, uh, uh, he entered the war as a captain and left, uh, and uh, I mean, entered the war as a captain and left as a major. Um, and he was a big innovator. He did a lot of different things. Um, and he probably um, uh, should have been able to promote it a lot further. Um, after the war, he's promoted to, to lieutenant colonel. Uh, but then he left the army because the British Army because he wasn't going to get promoted any, anymore. Uh, but he was an innovator, a leader. He didn't profit, but he stayed. He stayed loyal to the British, even though he was um, he was passed over and had a big chip on his shoulders. Um, Arnold obviously started as a colonel. He promoted brigadier general, promoted to major general. Um, and even though he, when he got upset, he kind of got what he wanted out of Congress, uh, uh, especially after Saratoga, but he still wasn't happy. And um, in fact, uh, he wasn't even happy. He still had a chip on his shoulder after he went to the British because he doesn't think the British came through with their side of the bargain. They didn't make him a major general, which what he was in the uh, um, uh, Continental Army. He didn't get a peerage, which he thought he was going to get. And he never got really command of troops on a major campaign, just a couple of minor raids. So he had a major chip on his shoulder, and, and a lot of that caused him to, um, uh, to become treasonous and to, to switch sides, uh, whereas uh, Weems did not do that, at least during the war. This question may have something to do with the prior question, uh, but neither man was very quiet when it came to criticizing their commanders. Uh, what did they say? Oh, this one, this one's a, a kind of good, and it's actually, um, you know, uh, it, it, this is a little bit of a difference. Arnold, uh, he left some letters, left some correspondence and papers, but his self-absorbed personality didn't really allow him uh, to, to do that. So, you know, he excoriated... Uh, 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 General Horatio Gates uh, with sarcasm and letters to fellow officers. And, and, you know, he said good things about Washington, but that's about the only officer he said good things about. I mean, he clashed with just about every Continental Army officer that he was associated with, uh, from Ethan Allen to Colonel James Easton, John Brown, Moses, General Moses Hazen, Horatio Gates. And, you know, even at the end, you know, the, the serene, the famed serene patience of, 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 of Washington was beginning to face. But um, um, James Weems left more interesting, more candid memoirs. Um, he wrote about 50 uh, plus officers and their character and their performance. Uh, you know, just the, his just a sample of his um, uh, uh what he said about the, the British commanders, he said, you know, General Gage, it was, he said it was a joy, a great joy of the army. He went to England um, after when he was recalled. And for General Howe, he, he said he was unequal to the duties of commander in chief. He was good as a field officer, but passed too much of the time in private conviviality. So and then he said uh, Henry Clinton was uh, uh, vain and open to flattery and, and misled by his staff. So, but the only general that Weems had good things to say about was Cornwallis. Um, generally, what he said was that the officers were without abilities, are useless and vain and, and pompous. Uh, so, and a part of this comes from, you might say that some sour grapes about getting passed over for promotion and not recognized like he liked to. But he, uh, Weems raises some good issues, which I think uh, our, our historians have left un. Um, analyzed and, 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 and unreviewed. 
And that is that uh, Weems uh, alleges many British officers profited from the war and put money in their pockets. Basically, he said that the quartermaster function and mustermaster, barracks master functions were rife with with uh, uh, with people skimming money from the the uh, treasury. In fact, uh, one of the things he says famously is that uh, uh, the British officers didn't make war on the rebels; they made war on the British treasury. Um, and he concludes that the senior British commanders just turned a blind eye to this. So uh, this is an area of future research I think will be very good to take a look at. Uh, but maybe I might just close with one thing on this is that uh, Weems recounts a most interesting story um, uh, uh, at the uh, Battle of um, F uh, White Plains. Uh, there was a, a little Cracker Barrel roundtable of British officers uh, uh, relaxing before or after the battle. And um, the group of officers had a heated argument over who was w uh, the worst general was it Washington for keeping his army exposed in a in a uh, undefensible position, or was it Howe for moving too slowly to capture the indefensible um, uh, uh, Washington? So I think it's been just wonderful to be part of that uh, conversation and to and to hear what they had to say uh, because they thought both both generals were derelict in their duties. These men see their reputations deviate pretty greatly after the war. What happens in their lives after the end of the American Revolution? Yes, and, and you know, they, they both end up at the opposite places they started, right? So uh, Arnold, uh, you know, uh, ended up, um, you know, uh, going back to England after the war, uh, where he was uh, shunned by society. He was dogged by his critics. Um, you know, he, he um, even at the, he could hardly even go to the uh, theater without being accosted for his um, his traitorous behavior. Um, so he was really not really very well welcomed um, in, in England. And uh, he tried a, a fresh start in Nova Scotia. He was unsuccessful there and he returned to London. Uh, he tried to get um, active in the Napoleonic Wars. So he offered his services to the king uh, and he was turned down for that. Um, and uh, he lived a much shorter life uh, than Weems and he really died without the respect of, of his contemporaries. Um, you know, Weems, had, uh, on the other hand, he also changed countries that he lived in. Um, uh, you know, after the war, he stayed uh, in the British Army for a period of time, but then he resigned his commission. He tried to uh, make a go of it as an estate owner in Scotland. Uh, that didn't work, to, work for him. So he, in the late 1790s, moved to the United States. So that's why I found it pretty interesting that the second most hated British officer moved to back to the United States, moved to Long Island. Uh, he lived a pretty comfortable, uneventful life um, as a farmer on Long Island. But, um, you know, whereas Arnold didn't have the respect of his neighbors, Weems did. And Weems, uh, uh, even though he changed his loyalty to the United States and wanted to live in the United States, um, his neighbors highly respected him and he lived a, a, a good end of his life. Uh, um, I think the, one of the other notable factors of that was he, he did um, declined to serve in the war of 1812. Uh, I think he was in between, you know, countries for that and didn't do that, but, um, he ended up, um, um, living until 1833 and died at the age of 84 in Long Island. Um, you know, maybe one of the telling factors about their legacies and reputations, uh, is, uh, if you look at Weems's uh, uh, grave, it's on, on it, it's described, um, uh, formerly a distinguished officer in the service of his country. 
And if you look at Arnold's uh, uh, grave um, at St. Mary's Church in London, uh, it just basically said sometime general in the army of George Washington. You know, I think the tombstones uh, really summarize their legacies. What do you feel that this comparison study reveals about the war as a whole? You know, I, I think it really is, there are two lessons. Um, you know, it, these two officers really faced this, the same situations. You know, both had independent commands, very successful. Both should have been promoted faster and higher. Both had, you know, had, had, had re- less, uh, reputations for bravery and abilities in, in combat. Um, both of them, uh, both, of, uh, both of them lost their first wives to, uh, to, to, to illness. But faced with that same situation, they made different decisions. And to me, the, one of the lessons is, is a lifetime of good work could be undone by the decision of a moment. And, uh, you know, Arnold probably would have been one of our national heroes um, had not he uh, um, uh, gone on the vulture and, and turned uh, and, and changed sides. Um, you know, they, they really did face the same situations. And, and at the end of the day, Weems did change his sides, but he did it in an honorable way. Um, and uh, um, I, I also think the, the, uh, that um, people uh, sometimes give Arnold a bit of a pass and they kind of uh, uh, explain away his um, disloyalty by saying, well, his wife did it or Congress didn't um, treat me right. Well, both of those things are just patently wrong and that uh, it wasn't his wife that did it, it was him. Um, she was, her family wasn't even a, a, a uh, uh, loyalist family and uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, you, you tell me a, a general that wasn't um, um, uh, um, misplaced by Congress. I mean, uh, Congress uh, mistreated uh, many, many generals. And so Arnold wasn't um, uh, singled out for that in any stretch of the imagination. Um, so, you know, Weems had the opportunity to profit from the war, and he didn't. So I think these decisions we make in certain times are pretty important, and they do set the, cast the die for our future. Uh, you know, the, the second lesson that I have from, from, from this is that, you know, we, a lot of times the, the literature uh, cites the American field officers as being, as being superior, to being very capable and being very brave and very aggressive. Um, I think contrary to what is typically written here, the British officers really adapted well to the American geography and fighting conditions. Wings is a good example. I mean, the Queen's Rangers, it would be just the same kind of uh, capabilities that Morgan's riflemen had. So, they, they, you know, these are, we, we um, um, uh, put on a pedestal Morgan, but we, you know, if we were probably British, we might put Weems on a, on, on a pedestal. You know, these, these Weems did not just line up as men and allow the rebels to outwit them with, you know, by uh, firing behind trees and using evasion tactics, tactics, nor did any of the other British officers. The British quickly altered their combat techniques to the North American environment. So I think, you know, a, 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 Major Weems is a good example of the highly proficient combat capabilities of the British officer corps. And, and more credit should be given to the British Army. Its field officers were good leaders. Uh, the British Army was just dealt a pretty bad hand with long supply lines, you know, inadequate uh, forces, and really no political cap- capacity to reestablish a, a government loyal to the British crown. So I think that's a second lesson, Brady. Gene Proc now. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Brady. Glad to be here. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. 
any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.